friend of a friend had the SWAT team visit their house. Mom and dad are at gunpoint, knife point from son. The son was high on meth or he was not in his right mind. Well, he ends up in Anderson County Detention Center. The friend of a friend reaches out to me and says, hey, you've been a pastor. Can you get in there and talk to him? We want our son to know we love him and we want to get beyond all this. And in my naive state, I thought, yeah, sure, I, I can do that. Let me just go down, knock on the door and say, hey, let me go visit this guy. And Holy cow. I discovered that Anderson County Detention Center is like way overcrowded. Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. Now let's continue with Dave Phillips' story, CJCC. Of the Anderson County what is CJCC? And what does that have to do with recidivism? Part two of Intersection's exploration of recidivism in Anderson County, South Carolina. Well, I can't get in to see him because this old old jail that we have here called the Anderson County Detention Center, as in, I think, like 1956 standard or so, it has got so many people in there that they really can't allow um, pastors just to come in. They have to really, they have to be very careful about when you can visit and so forth because they just have so many people. Um, there, there's no there's no room to go visit. Like you might think, you know, on most TV shows or movies or whatever, you know, they have this really nice big room that you go and visit or so forth. That doesn't, that's not happening and that doesn't exist. And so they've created, they've created rules to try to help navigate all that stuff. So I don't have anything, I'm not, that's no criticism of what they're doing. It's just, they have very limited space and very limited capability. And they'll admit that. Yeah. Openly. Yeah. But, you know, so what it, what it really got for me was it got us starting to think about well, what is going on in the, in the criminal justice system. And, and to be quite honest, I hadn't thought about that before then. The connection. Right, right. Of I all really, these pieces. Yeah. So we started looking around, and um, there's this resource out in the, in the world called a uh, National Academy Press, I believe, if I have that right. And, and they have this book that they published, like 400 and some pages long, talks about incarceration in the United States. And it shows that, that our population is way over-incarcerated <laughs> compared to other countries in the world. And, and so it really made me wonder what was going on with that. Um, Here locally or just in general? It, well, first of all, in general. But because, but again, the only reason I, I even looked for that particular resource is that I had a friend of a friend who was in, in, is now involved in the criminal justice system. And so I was trying to learn what that was about. And then I heard about the CJCC. And so I went 
and, and it's a public, public is welcome to come, and I'm just a public guy, so I showed up. The CJCC, or Criminal Justice Coordinating Council, exists in Anderson County, South Carolina, to drive sustainable, data-driven improvements to the criminal justice system, thereby improving the safety and community well-being. Anderson CJCC is the second in the state to be created to address an overcrowding jail population and a major issue, recidivism. So I went to Anderson County Library, Main Library, and they had a meeting there with a bunch of people talking about committees that they were forming to start to look at the criminal justice system here in Anderson County and, and kind of what we could do. And they had a couple of committees. One was a community engagement committee and one was a community mapping committee. And we were, at that point, we had already created the, the very first version of the community resource guide. So I was like, well, we already had done the mapping. Um, we're still working on it, but, you know, so we could, we could pitch that to the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council and, and say, uh, here's, here's a place to start. Uh, and then community engagement was an opportunity to actually be able to talk to the community about the criminal justice system because it, it is a black box. It's, it's not something people think about unless they, have, they get thrown into that, like my friend's friend. They didn't know about visitation because they'd never had anybody in their family in jail. And, and they don't know the process or, or even what it's about. And so I wanted to be able to help tell that story. I wanted to be able to help people look inside that black box and understand something about it. Why is the CJCC bigger than jails? Um, and, and I ask that question in a way that the backstory is obviously the CJCC came out of a, um, a recommendation from the higher-ups in the federal government as the Anderson County was looking at reform. One of them, which is dealing with an old jail, and said that, hey, if you look down in Charleston, when they were looking at building a new jail or dealing with that, they started one. And it really helped them bring a lot of community partners together with lots of voices. And so as we have worked together, one of the things that we keep on hearing is, is this just a smokescreen to build a jail? But what we're finding is there's a lot of work to do that no one knows about, no one talks about, no one connects with. And there are people in that room that see all the connections and you're one of them. How is this bigger than jails and why are you at the table? The underlying concept is it's a criminal justice system that needs to be reformed. And so that makes it a whole lot bigger than a jail to begin with because the, the justice system says you do something wrong, you have to be punished for doing something wrong, which we want that. I mean, that's what makes this a civilized society. We want to have a system that, that we trust, that we can depend on so that when somebody commits a crime that we would do something about that and, and, and whatever that punishment would be appropriate and would make sense. 
what's happened systemically in the country is we lock people up until we figure out exactly what to do. Um, and so the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council as a CJCC, that big concept is say, well, first of all, do we need to lock everyone up that's in there? So how do we do that? How, what do we, how do we unpack that? And so when I saw local officials getting together from, and I'm not going to name names, obviously, but key officials that are, that are in our system here wonder if their process is, is uh, discriminatory, if they are locking up people that they don't need to lock up. And they started evaluating their own internal processes and saying, what if we, what if we could change some of that? Let's, let's start taking a look at that. And they, and they really work together. And I think that's what happens in this council is that it's a group of people that are concerned about the criminal justice system, but they all come from different parts that won't normally talk to each other, not because they don't want to talk to each other, but they're busy doing what they do. And so they don't normally talk to each other. But when they got into a room and started having these kind of conversations, they started to identify pressure points that they could relieve some of that stress on the overcrowding just by saying, you know, if, if we don't lock up a person for this, but we, we take some other action to hold them accountable for what they did wrong, then it can take pressure off of the jail but more importantly, it better serves the community because if I lock somebody up for three days, if honestly, if I just lock somebody up overnight that's already living on the margin, they probably lost their job. And when they've lost their job, they're going to miss that next house payment, that next bill payment. And it's, it's not a question of whether or not they're, because of that, they become homeless. What happens is, how do they react to that? Well, they got busted because they, they did something stupid. Well, you do something stupid, and now you lose your job. Now, you know, your relationship is probably busted. You start burning bridges. Everything collapses by that decision to lock somebody up overnight. About 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I was introduced to this word recidivism, and I didn't realize how it would impact me 11 years later or 10 years later, but I'm working on a project uh, sponsored by the South Carolina Hospital Association funded by the Duke Endowment about raising awareness for uh, mental illness and behavioral health in emergency departments, how there is a revolving door where an individual goes to jail, realize they've fallen off their meds, calls them to have an episode, get in jail, are sent to the emergency department to get these medications, get them stabilized. They go back to jail. They're released because they served their time and they've become stabilized. And then because of that revolving door, like you said, they've lost their job or something, and so they go to the streets. And then they don't have access to those medications that keep them stabilized. And then the revolving door happens. And then we look at that revolving door, and those are the numbers 
a good portion of the numbers that are keeping our jails overcrowded is this revolving door of people with with crimes and i'm starting to see this tremendous connection between recidivism and homelessness do they talk to each other are they interacting are they connected is it just so happened that they're parallel what do you see as a relationship in your experience well first of all i want to make sure i dispel one myth good it's really important to disconnect homelessness from recidivism somebody being homeless doesn't mean that they're gone to jail that that they're criminal homelessness happens for a lot of reasons um, we were privileged to sit around a table and have breakfast with each school district liaison for homeless children we have a we have something like a thousand homeless children in our county in Anderson, in Anderson County and these these five school districts that have beautiful people that are liaisons to try and do something to make sure that those kids have equal access to everything else that are that a a student that doesn't deal with homelessness has to contend with so we sit around that table with a, a lot of homeless children represented uh, and their mom or dad, probably single mom or single dad, uh, are not necessarily criminal. And so I just want to make sure that, we, that we're clear about disconnecting that. Now, But there is overlapping. Well, okay, so we can get back to that. So recidivism, you know, somebody that's chronically going in and out of jail is probably also dealing with homelessness. Right. Because of that revolving door. They burn bridges over and over again why why are they going back and forth to jail now outside of a mental issue and, and mental health is a big deal but outside of the mental health issue if they're going in and out of there for because they're wrapped up in addiction and i'm i'm, I'm trying to separate mental health from addiction because i think there's there's a true separation there, there really is something very different there and, and addiction's a big deal um and I'll, we could have a whole podcast on, on addiction recovery. But someone that is caught up in recidivism is probably homeless, <laughs> which means that he's probably sleeping on somebody's couch or in his car or in somebody else's car or something, which just leads to more temptation to, for criminal activity that's going to get him landed back in jail because he's got no place to live. <laughs> so, yes, the recidivism, homelessness, there is a relationship there. But don't, don't say that because somebody's homeless, they must be criminal. That's, that's really what I wanted to, I really wanted to hammer that. But what's the overlap? Because you care about homelessness, and the CJCC cares about recidivism. Well, I'd like to say that I care about people. <laughs> I really, really care about people. And homelessness is a condition and a state that they're experiencing that I know is going to cause them to make bad decisions. And I, and I, I really can't, I, when I say I understand that, I don't really understand it because I've not ever had to live in that. And, and I've read several books with guys that say, okay, for 90 days I'm going to be homeless and you know, really experience it. And that's great. We, 
We can learn from those experiences. I don't really need to do that, uh, honestly, because um, if I did that, it's completely artificial. At some point, I can, you know, I can phone home and say, "Pick me up." These guys can't, <laughs> and and they just and, and part of that equation, I really believe, is just getting rid of the barrier that says you're down there as the homeless guy. I just want to love on people right where they are for who they are and where they are. Just, just love them the way that, that we've been told to love people. And I think about this and the reason why I'm looking at the intersection here, working in hospitals and telling those stories for access to care and mental health issues and safety of the providers that are having to help these individuals that are suffering from a situation their safety and looking at all these pieces for so many years i think about recidivism and the intersection of homelessness and the way that we're talking about it not that one has to be the other other has to be the one but when someone walks out the door after being released and and asks what's next i mean we could talk about the guy i dropped off at the bus station who called me from the detention center and said, "Hey, I need to go, I need to get my car." And I, I tell the guy, "The reason you're in jail is because you're you were driving on a suspended license for DUI. Do you understand that you don't have a car?" <laughs> and I picked him up anyway. How are you pastoring? I believe that that. Everybody has a ministry, and that ministry can look like a lot of different things, but we're all ministers, every one of us. Some of the ministry, a very small portion of the population are ministers that stand up in a pulpit on Sunday, and and their burden should be really preach what it is that God has on his heart for the people to understand. But everybody that's sitting there receiving that should be inspired by that to go and after that ministry that's been planted in their heart. For me, I care about, I, I just know that I'm supposed to love God, love our neighbor as ourselves. It's really simple. Love God, love people all the time. You know, I love Bob Goff's book, Everybody Always. It's like, it's just really simple. <laughs> we just have to love people all the time. And and what's really cool is that when you really get down to that and you start to do that, the joy that comes from that is, is not something that I can describe real well. But it really is a joy. And, and it really is a tragedy when, you know, when I help a guy that then goes and, and commits a crime again and I see his mugshot, it breaks my heart. You know, I don't want that to happen. But it doesn't mean I'm going to stop loving him. <laughs> I, I believe it deep inside that is, is a beautiful person. I believe underneath whatever was going on there, that, that there's a beautiful person. And one day we're all going to, we're going to stand right side by side together. No different. I'm no different than he is.
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation surrounding recidivism in Anderson County CJCC. Interested to learn more? Check out the show notes to learn more about Anderson County CJCC. For more information about our show or other episodes, go to intersectionpodcast.com. That is intersectionpodcast.com. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.